Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, once again we come before you and ask that you would help us and guide us as we look into your word and learn thereby. We pray that you would bless that which is spoken to those who hear, that it might bring forth fruit to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue looking with regard to Christian liberty, and we was talking about this morning with regard to the fact that <clears throat> uh, the authority in, in civilization or among life is pretty well destroyed in the day in which we live. We, live. we noticed uh, the effect of that in the days of Esther. Uh, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with regard to the fact that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man and the head of Christ is God showing the authority structure that is set out there. I want to also look at some passages in 1 Timothy and Titus. First of all in 1 Timothy Chapter 2, we'll read verses 8 through 15, showing this structure of uh, the place of man and mankind. Verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, now notice when he says in like manner also, he's continuing the subject of prayer and worship, but he's also bringing in that uh, some more detailed uh, information with regard to the status of women. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. That's not what you see in the average woman today. First of all, you do not see modest dress. There's much, there's not, well, really there's, in the, the, atta the attire of a woman's dress 
whether it be in the winter time or in the summer time anymore, is hardly there's hardly any uh, question as to the shape and the figure of the woman. Because from the head to toe, what is covered is skin tight. And what's not covered is quite revealing. And that's, that's the society in which we live. That's the society in which we live. And of course, the society in which we live, they think that's modest. But I assure you, when they stand before the Lord, it'll be an eye-opening. Not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which professing, but women, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence. That's a foreign concept today. And I would remind you, I'm not even reading 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, you have more information along that line given there. But I suffer a woman not to teach, nor usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. Just reading that to the modern day individual can cause a fear. Because women particularly want to say, well, that really doesn't mean what it says. But I guess God was not uh, intelligent enough to say what He meant. That's what they would be saying. But notice what it says. What we read in 1 Corinthians 11. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. God could have made a woman first, but He didn't. He made a man first. And He did that on purpose. He wasn't just running an experiment. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Adam knew full well what he was doing when he violated God's command by eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve was deceived. And a woman is more deceived than a man normally. Though society has gotten to be of such today, it's hard to find some men that are, have more sense than some women. It's just, it's sad. It's sad. 
almost, I mean, it's just, it's just automatic for me to hold a door for a woman, whether she's young or old, and even hold the door for older folks, even a male, and things of that nature. And <laughs> even though I'm considered old, and a lot of people want to hold the door for me uh, because uh, I, I just don't think about me being that old. <laughs> and so, uh, but anyway, uh, I mean, it's, it's just automatic for me to do that. And sometimes I wonder when I do it, particularly for a woman, is she a feminist or not? You know, uh, I, I know of one man uh, was visiting one minister, actually, he was visiting in the hospital, and he was leaving and walking across the parking lot, and there were two women there trying to figure out how to change a tire because they had a flat. And he walked up to them and said, Are you women feminists? They said, well, no, no, not at all. He said, well, I'll help you then. He said, I thought if you were, I'd just let you <laughs> do it on your own. <laughs> uh, and it reminded me of uh, at one time I was working on a golf course. And I was the, uh, uh, well, I forgot really what I was called. I was landscaper. I was the landscaper on the golf course. But anyway, there's, they had a couple other men there. We were actually building the golf course. It hadn't been open to the public as of yet. And there were two other men there working. And then there was a woman working that uh, professed herself to be uh, a sodomite and that she wanted to uh, get paid a uh, man's wage for uh, her work like uh, the other men were and so one day they these other two men they didn't even profess to be Christian at all but anyway they were moving some cross ties or some big large timbers of some sort I think it might have been cross ties but anyway they were picking them up and putting them in the the vehicle uh, each one take carrying their own load uh, and the woman, when she came, when she was there, she wanted them to help her. And these men said, "Well, you you get paid what we get paid. You if if you can't do it, well, you just need to go somewhere else." <laughs> and so she uh, had to bow up her back and 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 do the work. So the, my point is that even these feminists. Sometimes uh, they want to get paid man's work, but they don't want to do man's work because they can't. Uh, that doesn't mean that every woman is always weaker than a man physically. There's some women that are stronger and have more constitution than some men. But that's not the basic overall nature. And though there are some intelligent women that uh, have... Uh, some wives may have some more business sense than some of their husbands, but still at the same time, the woman by her nature is that she is more easily deceived than a man.
Alright, look in the fifth chapter of First Timothy. Pick it up in verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. Well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children. By the way, I, I, I failed to read that last verse in the second chapter about the woman bearing children and so on. But if she have brought up children. If she have lodged strangers. If she have washed the saints' feet. And by the way, let me say this. Our Lord, as you know, taught that disciples are to wash each other's feet in John 13. But there are people that say, well, no, that doesn't mean to literally wash feet. But Jesus said, I've given you an example to do. Do exactly what I've done. People that say, no, he didn't really mean that. Or like those people that say 1 Corinthians 11 doesn't really mean a head covering. You know, it's just, it's just the same concept. But anyway, they say, well, it's not mentioned anywhere else. Well, it's mentioned right here. And they say, well, that, that doesn't mean the same thing. They say washing of, of people's feet is, was a custom that the slaves did. Well, I've heard that, and I see Bible commentators saying that over and over and over again, but I've never found one historic example of a slave washing anyone's feet. Just like those that say 1 Corinthians 11, it was a custom of the day, you will not find any historical evidence of 1 Corinthians 11 being the custom of Egyptians, uh, Jews, Greeks, Babylonians, or anything. First Corinthians 11 will not fit any custom of any society that can be found in history. And washing a slave, washing someone's feet, I've never found any historical record of that either. Now, if Bible commentators and and all, uh, if if that's true, they should be able to come up with some example. No, it means washing the saints' feet, as our Lord taught in first in John chapter thirteen. If she have relieved the afflicted if she have diligently followed every good work 
But the younger women refuse, younger widows, excuse me, refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. Having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan." Titus chapter 2. I'm not even going to take the time to comment on all of these because Deb would be here a lot longer than we need. But what I'm saying is you can see that there is an authority being taught here of men in their environment and a woman is to be in a different environment. And to follow the pattern that's found that we saw in 1 Corinthians 11, that the glory of the man is the woman, or the, or the head of the man is, um, the head of the woman is, is the man, as Christ is the head of the man, and as God is the head of Christ. Titus chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, but speak the things which become sound doctrine. So what we're, to, what we're about to read is sound doctrine. We think of predestination, election, depravity, redemption. We think of all those things as doctrine, don't we? And pre teaching sound doctrine about them. Well, this is sound doctrine also. What I'm showing is that the little foxes spoil the vines. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And when these things are not practiced, you can see the downgrade of society, especially in which we live, not only among congregations throughout the land. That the aged men be sober. We find more men today, instead of living sober lives, they spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on their recreational vehicles, whether it be uh, dune buggies climbing mountains, their boats, their fishing attire, and so on. I'm not saying it's wrong to go fishing. I'm not saying it's wrong to do some of these things, possibly. But when that's all they do, it doesn't seem like men that are very sound to me. Especially when they're in debt head over heels 
not providing for their family, putting their family at risk with all of their indebtedness so they can have their toys. The aged men, that's older men, be grave, be sober, be grave, be temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. You hear more and more older women teaching younger women, well, I wouldn't put up with that. Well, maybe they don't know all the... All the... Uh, Truth about the situation. To love their husbands, to love their children. I must move on. I'm too tempted to chase some rabbits there. To be discreet. Chase. Keepers at home. Obedient to their own husbands. Say, well, if my husband was so and so, I that's not what it said. You say, well, are you saying that they're to put up with an abusive husband? I'm not saying that. But too often, what some people think is abusive is not. There is such a case as abusive husbands. There's such a case as abusive wives. But overall, women are to be obedient to their husbands. To me, I cannot think of anything more abusive in one sense in Abraham denying his wife. Not once, but twice. But she trusted God, according to 1 Peter, and God delivered her. And had Abraham rebuked by pagan kings. You say, well, are you saying that a woman ought to do such and such and such and I'm not saying that. I don't know all of the ins and outs. I'm only giving you the principles of the Scriptures. Which is God's Word. You say, well, I don't believe God's Word. Well, that's the reason you're in the shape that you're in. I didn't write the book. I didn't write the book. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. I believe I've told you, Brother Zach, several years ago, he got out all of his Greek books and everything 
and all of his commentaries, and he wanted to find out what keepers at home meant. Said when he got through, he found out that Greek word means keepers at home. <laughs> God said that. It didn't say that women are to go into the workforce to be equal with men. It didn't say women are to disobey their husband, but go into the workforce and obey somebody else's husband. It says here to be obedient to their own husbands. That the Word of God be not blasphemed. We think of blasphemy, somebody saying GD or taking God's name in vain some way. Not only GD, but OMG. You know, that's taking God's name in vain. Gosh, golly, saying those words with expl in expletive language, that's taking God's name in vain. And professing to be a Christian and not living like one is taking God's name in vain. Young men, likewise, to be sober-minded. The idea that young men, well, let, let them go out and sow their wild oats and then, then uh, settle down. No, no, they're to be sober-minded. Young men, oh, they're just, they're in their youth, you know. You know they they're just they're going to be. They need to learn to grow up. I believe it was Alexander Hamilton at the age of twelve was in the Caribbean running a plantation. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Verse 7, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. That's what young people to be doing. Showing a pattern of good works. Not acting like a, a foolish child. Going out doing whatever he wants to do. In doctrine. Showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Go back to First Timothy. Chapter 6. Verse 1. Let as many servants, that slaves, do loss. 
as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Well, slavery's a sin. That's what the world wants you to know. You can't find that in the Bible. Abraham had slaves. Isaac inherited Abraham's slaves. I don't want to take up the issue of slavery. I won't, I'm not taking up the issue of, of kidnapping. That's a whole different thing. But here our Lord inspired the Apostle Paul to tell how servants, that slaves, are to treat their masters. And by application, that's how people that work ought to treat their bosses. Particularly Christians. Let as many servants, slaves, as are under, under the yoke, count their own master worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters. Did you notice that? Slave holders that were believers. Slaveholders that were believers. Let them not despise them. In other words, a slave that was a believer and his master that was a believer, the slave should not despise his master and should have well if he was had the right kind of spirit. If he's really a Christian, he wouldn't he wouldn't keep owning me. See, that's what we think. That's what man's logic thinks. So, well, we don't have slavery today. There's probably more slavery going on today than there were in the 1800s here in America, particularly in African countries and other countries. And it's even going on here in America in many places. From time to time, you'll find uh, illegal citizens here being hired out, hired by the rich. They're in a form of slavery. And every individual that is on the government dole is in a form of slavery. For whoever feeds you and clothes you and provides medicine for you is your master. Anyway, what, what am I trying to say? I'm saying that things that we consider insignificant or maybe things that modern society thinks is wrong, these are the leavens 
that are leavening the whole lump. Verse 2 again, And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved and partakers of the benefit. Slaveholders and slaves who are brethren are classified here not only as brethren, and some that are masters over them, but they're called faithful and beloved. And then Paul tells Timothy, teach and exhort. And then he says, if any man teach otherwise, if somebody preaches different from this, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strives of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputing of men of corrupt mind, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. Does not verses 4 and 5 sound like the modern day news? We have a society that is... Well, let's start in verse 4. That's proud. They don't know anything. They don't have common sense. They're doting about of questions and strifes of words. In other words, causing confusion, strife, railing, evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, and supposing that gain is godliness. Sounds like modern society, does it not? Why are we in that fashion? Because the truth of authority has not been preached nor practiced. Yes, the little foxes spoils the vine. There's no such thing as we said this morning as a little sin. Look in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. We don't have time to read all of this. But let me set, set the stage for you. I know you know it. The children of Israel crossed the Jordan River. They were to go in and destroy Jericho. Kill out everything. Not take any spoils. The only thing that was to remain in Jericho was Rahab and her household. Joshua 7, 1. 
But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. How did the children of Israel commit a trespass? One man. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. One person in the congregation can cause judgment to come upon the whole congregation. One person in a household could cause destruction to come upon the household, which it happened to Achan. Not only was Achan, we'll see, but Achan was killed. His wife, his sons, his daughters, and his house, all of his furniture and everything was burned up. Verse 5. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from the gate even to Sheberim, and smote them in the going down, whereof the hearts of the people were melted and become as water. Because of Achan's sin, thirty six men got killed. I won't read it, but for time's sake, I won't read it for time's sake, but verses 10 through the rest of the chapter tells about what took place. Joshua went before God and wanted to know what's wrong. God said Israel has sinned. And so they brought all the heads of the families together and cast lots. And when they cast lots, they found out that the tribe of Judah was responsible. And when they cast lots with the heads of the tribes of Judah, the family of Achan was taken. And in verse 19, Joshua said unto Achan, My son, I pray thee, give glory to God, to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. How was Achan going to glorify God in this? By telling him what he had done. Did you realize confessing your sins before God is glorifying God? Have you ever thought of that? And so Achan tells what he he got a, some clothes, Babylonian clothes, two hundred shekels of silver. And a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Said, I hid him in my tent. They went into his tent and found him. 
And I will pick up in verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Men, women, children, Sheep, donkeys, oxen, and everything else not only was killed, but burned. Can you imagine the fire that took place that day? A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Yes, there's no such thing as a little sin. There's no such thing as a little sin. And we can multiply these examples that we have given so far today to show how what, what we think may be a little thing is a great judgment not only of the partakers, but of society in whole. Whether it be the society of a, of a household, or a congregation, or a city, or a state, or a whole country, or a whole world. Is it any wonder that our country is under judgment. I'm not going to take the time to prove all that I'm going to say, but if, if I had the time, I could do so. But I'll say this, that droughts in some sections of the country, floods in other sections of the country, fires, in other sections of the country, tornadoes, shortage of food, high cost of materials, and other such things, diseases, viruses, and other such things that have come upon this nation and the world in general. Are signs of God's judgment. Beside all of that. Immorality on every hand. The lack of 
authority. What I mean by that is people rioting, looting, stealing from stores, and things of that nature, and the police doing nothing because they're commanded not to. And if anybody does anything, then they're put in jail. Lawlessness. Lawlessness. Which abounds on every hand. Beloved, we're under the judgment of God. Foolish men can say, well, God has nothing to do with all of this. Well, they can say whatever they want to. They just are ignorant of God's Word. Or, they know what God's Word says and they pervert the truth in order to advance their own cause. Just like the Judaizers were doing here in Galatia, in the regions of the country of Galatia. We need to be mindful as to how we live because nothing escapes the all-seeing eye of God. Notice what he said in verse, uh, uh, not only verse 9, but verse 10 of Galatians 5. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Verse 9, verse 10. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. Paul was confident that the faithful would, would be faithful, but he said, But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Regardless of what's going on in this country, whether it be the president or down to the lowest uh, authority figure in society, they're going to give an account to God. They're not going to get by with it. They're going to be judged. If I were blessed, which I'm not, and won't be, to give a charge, give a charge to the Congress, whether it be the House of Representatives or the Senate, or both combined, I believe possibly what I would be teaching is that they're going to give an account for how they voted and what all they've done in their political career. They will not get by. They will not get by. Jesus said, I'll read Matthew 12, 36. You probably know it very well. But Jesus said, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. And I don't believe we I'm talking about you and me. I don't believe we take that seriously enough. Or there would be some things we probably wouldn't even be talking about. 
every idle word. We are warned of this in other places. Look at Romans chapter 14. Verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five. Verses 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body whether according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad. And then Paul says, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. We try to persuade men. Sometimes we try to persuade family members and even our own children and are uh, unable to do so. But I can tell you, without reservation, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Little foxes or big foxes? Man must give an account. And for those who pervert the gospel and say that they won't, they too will give an account. You remember Galatians chapter 1, verses uh, 6 through 9, particularly where Paul said that if an angel or uh, if somebody else comes along and preaches different what I preached, or if an angel comes along and preaches different from what I preached, or if I come back and preach something different, let us be accursed. And earlier in the third verse of that first chapter, or fourth verse, Paul made it plain that Jesus Christ died to deliver us from this present evil world. So if we're living like the world, acting like the world, looking like the world, and preaching like the world, it's not the gospel. We're perverting the gospel. And we'll have to give an account for perversions. And of those seven things that we read in Proverbs chapter 6 earlier, men will give an account for that. Men who have sowed discord among the brethren. But in verse 11, Paul said, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. In other words, people who stand up for the truth of the gospel will be persecuted. And the reason people will not stand up for the truth of the gospel, they're either, first of all, ignorant of it, 
or they really know what is said and they just don't want to be persecuted. They don't want to be ill thought of. They want everybody to like them. Well, I, I wish everybody would like me. I don't want anybody not to like me. But I do hope I fear God more than man. I would like to think that I would I care more about what God thinks about me than what some man thinks about me. And yet at the same time, I don't want anybody to think hard of me or ill of me for any reason. Well, for my next point, it would take too long, so we'll stop here and the Lord willing, take up verse 12 next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't want to appear to be self-righteous, a know-it-all, or just totally negative. We want to be faithful to Your Word. We would like to see the truth of the Gospel go forth and bring fruit to Your honor and glory. Only You can do that. I pray that we have not mishandled your word in any way, nor sought to ride some hobby horse. But we do believe, our God, that what men would call the little leaven or the little foxes or insignificant things that they might see the very importance of it all. For the advancement of your kingdom and for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.